Hi everyone, my name is Sue. I'm a full-time working woman in her late 40s and mom to two young energetic boys living on beautiful Vancouver Island. I want to take this opportunity to share my experience working with Rachel Varga. With aging skin and a busy lifestyle, I felt that I needed some serious guidance on how to tackle my skin issues and overall wellness. Since my early 20s, I have made my skin health, diet and exercise a top priority. But I eventually found that the skin and hair care products I was using and spending a lot of money on just weren't cutting it. I scheduled a one-on-one consultation with Rachel earlier this year in May and also attended the recent spring skin camp where I learned so much from the tutorials. During the one-on-one, I instantly felt a warmth and openness and Rachel really took the time to listen and provide practical and personalized recommendations. She now has me dialed in with my products and supplements to support me from the inside and out. After only using the products for a couple of weeks, my skin and hair felt incredible and it helped me to not only restore my confidence, but I am now receiving compliments on my healthy glow. Rachel also provided some valuable biohacking tips for both me and my family. Over the months, Rachel always took the time to respond to any questions I had. I recently had a 30-minute follow-up appointment with Rachel and again, it was such a pleasure connecting with her. Her expertise in the field of skin aging and radiance is unparalleled and I trust her completely. Rachel has changed my life and she has inspired me to strive to be the best version of myself in every way. I can't recommend working with her enough. Welcome to the Rachel Varga Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Varga, double board certified aesthetic nurse specialist since 2011 with over 20,000 rejuvenation procedures performed. I'm an international clinical trainer for other physicians and nurses as well, celebrity skin expert, having been featured on some of the world's top proactive aging podcasts and much, much more. Learn more at rachelvarga.ca and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, 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 lovely ladies, gentlemen. It's great to have you all joining me here today on the Rachel Varga podcast. Welcome to today's episode. We are featuring Amber Rickert today to talk all about psyche and soul care and our prioritization of this and why this is important in the whole body, mind, spirit, energy optimization journey to become our most vibrant radiant and beautiful humans possible. Y'all know I love to focus on skin as a double board certified aesthetic nurse specialist since 2011, over 20,000 rejuvenation procedures performed. And there's a couple things that I've picked up from my clients who have never spent a single cent on rejuvenation. They come and meet with me for the first time and they are already looking beautiful and radiant, but certainly they might want to learn how to care for themselves and their skin and use less toxic products. But this episode is going to be kind of how to detoxify our psyche and our soul and how to do that. So be sure to subscribe and like and share this episode here on YouTube. Hit the bell so that you know new episodes are dropped. I do have a special announcement coming at the end of this episode. So be sure to tune in all the way to the end because I have some special offers and bonuses to share with everybody today. So today we have Amber Rickert. She has worked for 18 years in mental health as both a therapist and an administrator. She has extensive experience negotiating conflict, integrating emotional intensity, and providing crisis intervention. Amber currently works in private practice with individuals and families in the areas of trauma and transformative 
Resilience. Amber is a master practitioner of emotional transformation therapy, ETT, which utilizes the full spectrum of light, RGB, to transform emotions from highly distressing states to profound internal realizations and awakenings. I actually have my true light right behind me on the red and yellow setting. Amber is also a certified facilitator of the Resilience Toolkit and Tension and Trauma Releasing Exercises, which utilize mindfulness and non verbal movement recovery in both individual and group settings. Amber has a master's in social work and a master's in public health from Columbia University, which she is deeply grateful for. Amber also knows that learning and wisdom take many forms and that this is not always validated in the academic world. Welcome, Amber Rickert. It is a pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm well. I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me and such an important topic. It's great to have you here. We're both part of a wonderful mastermind. And in case you're wondering, okay, like what the heck is a mastermind? A mastermind is when a, a specific group of humans get together that have unique skill sets and we just kind of collaborate and put our resources together, our heads together. There's a facilitator of this type of mastermind group. And the one that we're in has kind of like daily check-ins. We have bi-weekly calls, all that. I, I love being able to work with specific communities, including members like yourself, Amber, so that we can learn how to elevate ourselves and all of that. And the masterclass is, is kind of more like a lesson or, or a teaching and of some sort. So I do have an announcement for some free masterclasses at the end of the episode. So Amber, it is so nice to have you here. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on was to talk about psyche and soul care and how we can learn to prioritize this a little bit more in our life, body, mind, spirit, energy, and the mind and the spirit and the energy are kind of under attack right now, if you will, mm. fortunately. So what are you seeing in the collective at the moment with your clients and how can we cultivate a stronger psyche? Sure. I mean, one thing that's really clear is the amount of fear that um, I'm seeing in every single person pretty much that um, comes across my threshold. Sometimes it's their individual set of circumstances that are bringing them in. Um, but also a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression, a lot of isolation. And then finally, I think fear to share themselves in an authentic way um, with other people, fear to share their opinions, um, a lot of people feeling frozen and stuck and they don't know uh, where to turn next. So um you know, breaking people out of that pattern is the first step to cultivating a stronger psyche. People have to be willing to try things differently um, and create new habits. And that's a really big one. It's behavior modification, which can sound a little dry, um, but that's a huge part of allowing your soul and your psyche to breathe more is to just create a different structure for yourself entirely and step out of your comfort zone. That's just the very, very tip of the iceberg though. 
In regards to cultivating a stronger psyche, it's really important that we learn how to share our emotions and share when we maybe don't feel safe or when we do feel afraid or when we do experience fear. But the issue that I'm seeing with the collective and all of that is this topic of gaslighting. Say, Mm -hmm. for example, you are feeling something very true to your core, whether it's political, whether it's medical. And as you guys know, this isn't medical advice. This is educational information only. If you think you have a health condition or, or are in a mental health crisis, be sure to reach out to a practitioner immediately, a physician, and get the help and care that you need. But can you explain how, in fact, gaslighting could really damage people right now. I've I've mm-hmm. experienced it myself with even those closest to me. And it just it just really brings me down. So say you're sharing, you know, we have some some get togethers coming up here. Say you're sharing how you're feeling about a situation and someone just kind of like knocks you down, calls you crazy, calls you nuts, but that's what's true for you and really feels like is in your best interest to live. How do we manage that right now? Well, I think the it's really important to find people who can support you and nurture you and witness you. And sometimes though, people don't feel like they have even one person like that in their lives. And in terms of gaslighting, I think it is one of the most, from a purely sort of child development perspective, um, it's one of the most damaging things that can happen to kids. If you um, have something happen to you and then an adult in your life tells you it didn't happen. It's way worse than the event itself. So it's the reaction to the event that causes the most damage. And I think that's a lot of, we can use that as a model and example for what's happening now in the collective. Um, Many, many people feel like they're sensing something different than what they're being told is happening. They feel like something is thawing in them or they're waking up or Uh, Things aren't exactly what they seem. And then um, sometimes it's happening in families where families are saying, you're wrong or you're crazy or you're a conspiracy theorist. That's like the favorite term of all right now. Um, And people feel very isolated and they feel like no one can understand them. And so gaslighting is when someone's literally telling you, you don't see, feel, or hear what you're telling me you're seeing, feeling, and hearing. It really, really messes with the mind. And if it's done repeatedly, you do can, you can break the human psyche that way. And it's done in all kinds of um, mind control techniques. Yeah. And I mean, everyone is going to have different opinions on different things because of their values, right? So say, for example, myself, my body, mind, spirit, energy, sovereignty, sovereignty is number one. It's really Mm -hmm. important to me that I do what feels right for me. And that really is what everybody should be doing. But we're kind of um, being brought into some type of hypnotic state. I actually ran into one of my clients the other day and uh, it was great to see each other and, and connect and give each other a big warm hug and smile and, you know, have that like human connection, which we've kind of been trained to avoid for, for certain reasons. And she said something interesting to me. She said that, oh, you know, I went to this event. It was like this really fun evening event somewhere. And there was a, 
a hypnotist and they were bringing people on stage, but she was unable to be hypnotized. And I'm curious if you know, uh, like percentage of the population that's unable to actually be hypnotized. And what's crazy when we think of different hypnotic elements in media and marketing and consumerism is that uh, this is used in skincare, rejuvenation, gadgets and gimmicks. I see, you know, at home skin devices that are just going to be a complete waste of money, but they're preying on fear. They're putting subliminal messaging and different items and elements and symbols in advertising and, and things like that. So in your opinion, how can we identify a hypnotic element in the media or consumer advertising? And how can we come, become more aware of these tactics and not be impacted by them? Well, I think the first step is to be aware of our own vulner vulnerabilities and our own weaknesses, because that's how we can become exploited is through our fear. And we, it's essential for us to know what our points of weakness are, if we want to prevent ourselves from becoming um, exploited or manipulated by either advertising companies or by corporations. Um, there's a major corporate takeovers that have happened in the last two years, as many of us know, they're just, they've dominated during this period of time. Um, so we have to really understand where we are the most vulnerable and where we're the weakest. And oftentimes people are, for example, particularly worried about their health. Um, and that that's a vulnerability. And so we need to be aware of where we have um, our deepest kind of weaknesses. And um, I think more and more people in the last few years have started to become aware that there is another story or there's something else happening um, under the surface. But the thing that keeps us, I think, the most hypnotized, it's a combination, um, but it's, you know, our own personal uh, fears about our, our bodies or our families or our children or our appearance, our physical appearance, right? That's Fears against aging, right? A lot yep. of us are scared to age. Especially women. Uh, you know, there isn't anything, there's no positive messaging around a woman aging. Like, whereas men seem to be able to turn more handsome over time. Like, there's at least some of that messaging for men. There isn't really any for women. Like the so, Clooney effect, right? The yeah, or like the silver fox. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't have terms like that. Um, so um, so the aging things of, is a portal for exploitation for sure, or an entry point for exploitation. But the other part of it is the continual use of devices like our phone, um, watching the news over and over again, because that's delivering us repetitive messaging all, all the time is the news. Um, and then, of course, um, taking things that are, you know, foreign substances, um, taking, being on a lot of medication. It's not to say don't, don't be on medication, but what this, I think the most important part is it's the cumulative effect of all of it together. It numbs us out and it either keeps us in a state of not caring or being kind of hypnotized or asleep. Um, or it just we're convinced we've convinced ourselves that we're okay as long as we have all of these things in place, we'll be fine, and we we are not um, 
going to be confronted with the things that we fear the most in the world, which is our own mortality, really. I mean, we're humans are afraid of of death and are are um, very vulnerable to being exploited uh, by corporations to prevent that seemingly prevent our aging or our or our death. So th that's a com that's the combination of I think that makes us the most vulnerable to being hypnotized. Yeah, I would agree. The repetitiveness. Uh, I'm actually part of a group of over a thousand healthcare practitioners in Canada. And we are picking through research and ethics with a fine tooth comb. That even includes going over the government of Canada's propaganda that they've made over the last two years. And you can YouTube this. This is in plain sight, everybody. So if you want to see examples of this, actually just go to YouTube and look up Canada propaganda. You'll see some new ones over the last two years. And it's really interesting, the subliminal messaging, uh, the different age groups, the different ethnic backgrounds, uh, the, the colors they're wearing, the words that are being chosen, whether people are going upstairs or downstairs, uh, you know, crosswalks, different buildings, the stuff goes very deep and it really preys on our subconscious and unconscious and can be like planting these little seeds and then they get repeated. So there's some great people on YouTube that go through different types of materials that are actually intended to impact your, your psyche. This isn't a conspiracy. This is literally in plain sight. So the more you know mm -hmm. about this, the more of a smarter consumer you're also going to be. And when we're talking about medications and drugs and alcohol and things like that, I really love listening to Tiesto. And I'll have his latest podcast on in my vehicle when I'm cruising, stuff like that. And actually, in I think it was about uh, a quarter of the way through his last episode, there was a, a song that came on. And the artist was saying something like, oh, my parents gave me some advice and here it is, avoiding alcohol, nicotine, weed, then you will be free. Very interesting that this is from the perspective of like the kid and the parents telling the kid this stuff. And now the kid's like, wow, I think they're right. If I'm less under influence of substances, I will be more free and will be able to make more clear conscious decisions of maybe what is, you know, being placed in my awareness. Uh, what are some of the other tactics that you've seen impact your clients or that you've seen in a different media? Well, um, I think that living in areas where there's a lot of stress, like high stress and high, um, I mean, you could even say trauma. Um, people are afraid to hurt someone else. They become very scared that they're going to hurt someone. Um, and it kind of shuts them down to their own um, divinity, to their own bodies, to their own needs. It's kind of like a role reversal thing that's happened where people have become preoccupied with taking care of other people or the idea that they could hurt someone else and they've lost sight of what their own body needs because they're just thinking about what other people's needs are. Um, I think that uh, a lot of people are scared about losing their jobs right now or not having work. And uh, the idea that somebody's um, 
way of making a living is going to be taken away from them is terrifying for a lot. Most people don't have uh, backup <laughs> funds. So that's another tactic is um, you have to do X, Y, or Z, or you can't work here anymore. I mean, that's people. I are... think that's called coercion and duress, is it not? Yes. <laughs> Pretty sure that in section two of the N code, I got careful words here, yes. um, you know, that that's just straight up not allowed, but it, it it's yeah. happening. So I like what you're saying about people are just, you know, they're actually wanting to protect others, mm -hmm. which is, is very noble and all of that. But another thing here there, I believe it was a 2020 Yale study. You can look this up on PubMed that there was actually a study conducted that looked at uh, over 10 different messaging tactics to get people to do something. And this is like straight up academically published information. So, you know, the noble thing was an example. Um, you mm -hmm. know, serving the greater good was an example. And what's very interesting is um, these are elements in certain political parties that I think are really sneaking in. So we have to be very careful to understand what the media is kind of trying to relay. And I want you guys to be so strong that you can see through all of this nonsense and, and make choices, purchasing decisions, life decisions that are in alignment with your highest good. And of course, the highest good of humanity, that's also important too. So when you take those into consideration, the rest will follow. But do you have any other tips or observations? You know, really, what are your most radiant clients doing? What are they like, the ones that are resilient right now? How are they not being lured in and being kept in a state of fear that will really uh, inevitably impact their ability to make logical decisions? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's a parallel process that happens with people when they start to heal their own uh, I mean, it, I work with people with severe PTSD. So we are talking about real trauma. We're not just talking about adversity or uh, difficult things that happen to all of us in our lives. We're talking about people who have like significant incidents. Um, they're willing to really go into the places in themselves that are going to um, help heal themselves. So I'm like a guide. I guide people into those places and encourage them to um, keep going and to understand that they have a limitless reservoir inside of themselves to heal. Um, so they're willing to do that. They may have reached sort of the end of the road with more traditional or um, well-known talk therapies. They're coming to me because I specialize in this area. I use light. You know, I've, I've learned some things that are quote unquote alternative can and you so talk to us about light? I have a, one of my lights behind me right now. Yeah. And it's just a, a synchronicity that, of course, you know about light therapy. So can you expand right. on light therapy for our mind and our psyche and even maybe soothing us right now? Yeah. Light's really, really important for the brain. Um, as most people understand, when the light changes in the fall, a lot of people get seasonal affective disorder or they are they are impacted by it somehow most people can understand that when you explain to them how light impacts the brain um, but basically it goes in through our eye and it impacts us in different ways we store memories we store our emotions in our brain and using um, rgb light which is what i do in my practice can help to unlock 
uh, highly distressing states that have been sort of fossilized in the in the mind in the brain really um, and then released and uh, help the person to create a new neural pathway. So what the light does is it actually accelerates the healing process to create more neural pathways. Uh, the goal isn't to do it quicker per se, but it's, it is quite faster than traditional talk therapy. So using light um, helps. It's like a creating a, a new sort of uh, po more positive pathway towards looking at the world. So people can have very, very um, transcendental experiences. I use a light box and I control the light as they look into it. Um, people can have uh, experiences with a higher consciousness while they're in there. They can have these deep re revelations. They can go from being extremely distressed to very calm, almost blissed out. So you then have to help people sometimes work with the cognitive dissonance over what's happened because it can happen really quickly where they go from a high state of distress to like a deep feeling of peace in their bodies. And that's all because light really affects us. Human beings are quite um, closely uh, attached to light and we, we need it as part of our cell development, as part of our brain development. Um, you and I both know about using uh, red light therapy and um, it's just in the sun, sunlight's so important. But what I do is like I control a highly saturated amount of light that leads to this sort of more rapid healing process for people. I will share an experience. I was at a health conference. We're talking like JJ Virgin, Joan Cola, Div Asprey, like the big wigs, right? And they had a booth set up with a uh, brain tap. And I popped on the brain tap device and had a yes, within about two minutes, dropped into a really beautiful state of connection and clarity. And I have the true lay right behind me. Uh, so there's like yellow and reds, there's pulse, there's not pulse. So like this now, if you're watching the YouTube, it's pulsing. And it was crazy when I have this on, I actually feel super clear. Mm -hmm. And I'm less likely to be distracted on my phone. What's up with the blinking with lights? Can you add an element of, of, of expertise to this? Yeah. So I use flicker. I mean, I call it a flicker rate. So if somebody's really, really distressed and they seem stuck, um, you can turn on a flicker. And basically it just breaks up a neural pathway or a neural patterning that's been like very, very entrenched, especially for like early childhood memories you can um, trace back when a very, very traumatic event might, might have happened, say at two or three, and you put the flicker on for that same rate at three or four, depending on the age, and you can actually break up the traumatic memory by, by using the blinking light. So it helps to break up uh, a faulty mechanism in the brain and a faulty patterning, and that helps to reset it. So the saturation of RGB does one thing, and then the flicker does another. And the, the therapist is trained to use them both in tandem and in different ways to help bring the client kind of out of a state of trauma and like to put them back in their bodies and to make them more comfortable with themselves. And I mean, it's what we talk about when we talk about sovereignty. Um, 
and being in your body. That's what trauma work is, is helping people to be sovereign and whole and putting them back in their bodies. Beautiful. And when we're talking about trauma, a lot of people are going to look back at, you know, two weeks turned into two years awful quick. We're going to look at this as a time of trauma. We've grieved, we're grieving a life that we once had. We're grieving connections, friendships, family members, workplaces, ways of living and thinking and, you know, movements. It's all been impacted you know, little tentacles getting into just about everything. So I was actually, I did a consultation for uh, a grief therapist. I have so many doctors, nurses, practitioners book one-on-ones with me and take my skin camps and tune in here. It's great. And, uh, you know, whether you're someone like myself who isn't a psychotherapist or you're listening and you are, maybe you'll actually be able to integrate some nuggets that we're sharing here. But in your experience dealing with what's going on right now, how are people showing signs of grief? Well, you know, people are in deep grief for their former lives. And then I think they feel guilty that they miss them because they are feeling like, well, other people are suffering more than I am, or there's somebody out there who has it worse than I do. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hear that, which is another form of mind control to help to keep people from feeling like, uh, you know, they deserve their own process and their own healing that this idea that other people have it worse than them. Um, so, you know, I think that part of what's so important in a healing journey, and there's a lot that we can't control right now about what's going on. I think speaking of control, speaking of control, you want to know something wild? So, right, I stream to my two Facebook accounts and YouTube. I've been doing this streaming for like two years. I've never had one of them fail. But I've mentioned a couple of words. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, it's no longer streaming to one of my pages. Huh. Really? Just having open conversations. Right. I mean, I'm not surprised about that. So irritating. It's like, why can't we have open conversations about things and entertain things like shadow work, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, Carl Jung, I love working with shadow work. This is when we experience feeling into something, not just brushing it under the rug like it doesn't exist. We need to feel into what what gives us joy? How do we feel when we're really like hugged and loved like we were when we were a kid? Or when we're really sad and feeling Mm -hmm. grief, but feeling that, feeling it, not just like, okay, now I'm going to let it go. It's like feeling that, knowing how it makes your body feel. Can you just kind of walk us through maybe navigating feeling things and not just trying to numb out? How can we navigate through it and experience Mm -hmm. it and all that? Well, I think what's so important is helping people who may have been very, very numb to their own emotions and been afraid of feeling the depth of the grief to do so safely. Um, So part of the work that I do is helping people to slow down because when they get um, angry or afraid, they get a lot of times you can get flooded. So a big part of the work I do is slowing people down in the middle of a story, maybe, and like breaking things out into chunks. So they're not just giving the whole dump, 
or the whole tragic story, like I'll have them break it out and then I'll stop them and really have them go into their emotions in that, that one tiny chunk. And that way they're able to go very deep or deeper than they would have if they just tell the whole story and then they become overwhelmed and they get frozen or and that's when you get numbed out and disassociated. And I think people feel like, well, if I tell my story, that's how I'm going to heal. And you honestly, you don't have to tell your whole story all at once. Like part of healing is to figure out self-regulation and to figure out well, how much can I share? How much do I need to talk about before I can I, I should stop or before it's good to stop, take some, do some breath work, uh, do some other somatic practices, maybe sit with myself in silence, uh, talk to my therapist, and then allow myself to feel what's moving through my body instead of just like rushing to get it all in uh, so that, you know, someone can understand them or so they could be seen, which humans all want to be understood and we all want to be witnessed. Um, but a big part of helping people to feel their emotions is to slow them down um, and to help them see when they may be doing things that are overriding the feeling itself to avoid, to avoid the heavier emotions. Um, and also just, you know, I think relying more like on a tighter circle of people rather than, um, some of the older pat the patterns of um, looking to you know uh, a huge group of people to get approval or I think that increasingly in the next year or two we're really just going to be tightening our group of people who we trust and that's also a safer place to process our emotions and really select be very selective about who you choose to share things with. I'm always teaching my clients that too like, you don't need to have a huge group of people that you talk about your life with. Like you should count, you should be able to count the people you trust, especially with your own life on one hand. It shouldn't be more than that. Yeah. And, but I think that there's kind of something that makes me feel a little sad is mm -hmm. that we can't really maybe truly express ourselves right now. Right. Because people are so polarized. So then it's the element of, you know, you really want to express yourself, but then you end up repressing. Mm -hmm. And then I think that there can be a whole slew of things. So how do we navigate having, you know, deep conversations with about things that matter and things mm -hmm. that could help you that could help someone else, but also know like where is a safe place to share but then not feel repressed and not feel like you just have to shut up around certain people. Otherwise you're going to rock the boat kind of thing. Right. Well, it is a balance. So um, nothing should be done in extreme or in sort of this binary way. So I just said that, but I think you have to find a balance between that and then just expressing yourself when you want to. And like, if you, lose people along the way because you've expressed your truest highest self then you know you're finding your tribe like finding your tribe i think comes with losing people sometimes so we shouldn't be afraid of that but i i think when we're sharing our like deepest wounds and life story and our grief that's where we want to be really selective um you know we we don't we can share that stuff on social media if we want to. But I think in terms of heat, like doing really deep healing, uh, that's where being selective comes in. But 
I absolutely think that human beings should be sharing thoughts and ideas like on social media and we should be able to have a free conversation. That's, that's really different because the United States has certainly been built on the idea that we can exchange ideas and share things. And that's where ingenuity comes from. That's where invention comes from without the, you know, ability to disagree with each other. We lose our ability to expand and grow. And that is something that's really sad about what's happening now is that there's so much restriction on what um, we're, we can say. To add to something that's a little bit more positive here, we kind of live in a world of duality. Forever, not so good thing. There's lots of really good things that are also happening, right? Uh, I have to say, like, Amber, I've met you this year and, like, our whole community over the last two years. I feel like I have more soul sisters and allies than I ever have. And it's really interesting how... Uh, things can be divisive, but also highly expansive. It's just mm -hmm. how you look at it and what you allow into your life. So what are some, you know, tips and tactics for helping us have a more peaceful, joyful, radiant, beautiful mindset and navigating life? Yeah. Well, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day about like focusing on the portal versus the whole. So, you know, I try to focus on the portal more and that where I'm going and I, I meet people all the time who are like-minded and that's just what you said. Like we're meeting people who are on the path faster than ever before um, and creating, I've met some incredible women these last couple of years and it's just happening at lightning speed. So we want to be available for that, right? We don't want to shut that down. That's joyful and dancing and being in the body and just laughing and being with people who you love is so important. Um, and, you know, we don't deny that the whole exists or that these difficulties exist because that's gaslighting too. So there's this balance of like real uh, focusing on the joy and making sure that we feel that every single day. And then we also acknowledge that these things exist, that we're working to improve and to um, facilitate healing with. So I like to strike the balance between the two. Um, I can be very serious about everything that's happening, but I'm also like a total goofball. And um, I love to, you know, freak people out by how silly I can be sometimes. And it's really important to find that inner goofball and to find that, um, that person that really just wants to dance and have fun and laugh. And uh, the people who are doing those things are the ones that are the happiest. Frankly, they're the ones that are doing the best right now. Um, they're, they're just, uh, we, we're not denying what's happening, but we're also not letting it control us or like grab onto our spirit and bring us down. Yeah. And having like that childlike wonder and being playful and learning new skills are all things that have really helped to support me and keep my mind and psyche very strong, even in these challenging times. So tips for having a more positive, beautiful, peaceful and joyful mindset and life in general. Dive into your inner child, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and even thinking about something as beautiful as, you know, those prayers that your grandmothers, 
gave to you when you were a little one, those prayers are still working for you. So remember that. Remember all of the love that you experienced as a kid and know that that is still available. It's, uh, yeah, inner child work, shadow work. I think that there's a lot do you do you think a lot of people are doing this or are even aware of it? Um, I do. I, I tend to see people who talk about it when they come to see me, and I do. I also do inner child work with people as well. I mean, as part of like a larger sort of uh, holistic approach that I take. Um, I don't only do the inner child stuff, but I think it's really important to a lot of people um, brush past that stuff and they haven't paid any attention um, to. Uh, their what their inner child might need. Um, so I do I do a lot of that, and I also I think it's just um, part of the keeping yourself strong and resilient. Uh, you know, it's a blend of I think biophysiological things like jumping in a cold lake or going if you live near the ocean. Like you should be running into the ocean on a daily basis, even when it's cold. I live somewhere really cold and. I can do cold plunges pretty easily. So it's like forcing yourself out of your comfort zone. Um, but then there's the psychological work. That's the deeper, longer term work. It's human connection. I mean, part of what I'm doing with people is like soul repair and attachment repair. So it's creating trust and a trusting bond with people uh, so that they can feel what a safe and loving through the boundaries of therapy uh, relationship actually feels like. Cause a lot of times people don't even know what that feels like. And it is terrifying for people if they've never experienced it. So you want to go slow. Um, but that's where that soul repair work can really come in, in a therapeutic relationship. Um, there's nothing that replaces it. And I think Bessel van der Kolk refers to it as the milk of human kindness. And that's ultimately what we're all seeking. One of the things that I've learned about myself just actually recently is that I'll actually feel my best, safest, and most secure when I know that I am in a safe situation. I have the things I need and just in case kind of thing. Like those are things that really bring me a lot of safety and security, having my support networks around me. And sometimes it's just acknowledging that, sharing that with those around you as well could be helpful. But I'm really curious, like I can identify when I meet with the client one-on-one -on -one here her, over a call, book a one-on-one -on -one at rachelvarga.ca. But I notice when people are like frantic, they'll send me like this like long journal of an email before we meet and things like that. They're wanting to just tell me everything is like, we'll connect when we connect, right? And when people are frazzled or their psyche is like fragmented, they're trying to do all the things. They're multitasking. They worry about this, this, this. Like you're not going to be in the present moment at all. And your your literal, literally your reality and your psyche will be fragmented. And I think that that's actually what people are being driven to be like, especially through a lot of this repetition, through cell phones, messaging, things like that. So I, I notice that people who have a stronger psyche and have done deep soul work, they have a different look to them. Their faces are a little bit more relaxed. The way that they speak is a little bit slower. They're not in that high beta state. 
So even just taking a moment and being aware of your facial expressions, maybe how fast or how strong you're speaking, what type of uh, kind of like brainwave state you're in, right? High beta is going to be like the news and stuff like that. Get all this information in now. It's really important that you know this, right? Don't miss out. That's all high beta stuff. So how do people look when you work with them that have strong psyches and have done like deep soul work? Like what, what do you see in their eyes? What do you see in their skin? What do you see in their mannerisms and the way that they, 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 they live? Yeah. I mean, their eyes have a clarity to them. They um, have a, have literally a spark or a sparkle in their eye. I mean, that's a real thing uh, for people who have joy and resilience. You can see it in their eyes. You can see, you can, I mean, I can feel people's energy bodies pretty clearly. Um, and that's just like, being a psychotherapist, you can sense into people. That's not woo woo. That's just sitting in the room with someone's nervous system and feeling into what's going on with them. Um, for sure, their skin looks clear. And I mean, you talk about the just the radiant soul, like it's shining through their face. Um, and over time, I get to people don't generally have that when they come to see me because they wouldn't be coming to see me if that was going on. But over time, I get to see them transform. And I, I think another really important piece here about, um, you know, what people look like or what they feel like when they have a strong psyche, it's the ability to laugh at something really difficult um, instead of getting subsumed by the darkness of that thing. We acknowledge when things are really, really horrible. We, we're not just like spiritual bypassing that stuff. But sometimes I have this moment with people where, you know, we've, they've just shared something really difficult. And then one of us or I will sort of figure out a way to like turn it into something that has humor in it. And the, the feeling of shared laughter that can occur together uh, is so transformative. So I, I think that laughter and the ability to find humor in things is really, really important. And we, I mean, I, I think we've lost a lot of that, like, uh, you know, cracking jokes and being glib and uh, making sort of smart alecky comments about things like that's kind of like disallowed now. Um, and that's a big part of what a healed soul looks like is someone that's able to laugh and uh, kind of laugh at themselves. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. It's like we're we're just too too scared to offend anybody, right? There's all these social movements that have happened. We're like, what's next? Come on, what the frick is going to be next? <laughs> I mean, we've, we've I feel like we've gone through the whole spectrum over the last two years. What could possibly be next? But we are in a time right now where uh, manifestation energy is kind of something to be kind of like aware of and just how powerful our words and our thoughts are so what tips would you have for everybody tuning in here to you know really have a strong psyche and different words and maybe thought forms that we should just kind of like nip in the bud or like cancel 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 is mm -hmm. one of our favorite people says right right um I mean, I really think that noticing when your thoughts are going into a pattern uh, of repetition 
that you do something to break that pattern up and saying cancel, cancel, cancel is one way to do it, but also just like doing something different, like getting up and doing something different and not getting pulled into a repetitive pattern. Um, I think also, and you've talked about this, but time in nature and time away from your phone, like the negative thought forms are definitely coming to us through what we're being advertised for and through the um, I mean, it's what we're being studied basically so that we can be sold to. Um, so, um, the, the less time that we have on those devices, the more we're able to get in touch with what our own thoughts are and our own divinity and our own connection to spirit or soul or cosmos, whatever you want to call it. Um, when we're constantly on a device, um, we're going to be cut off from that. So that's a huge way to get away from the, the negative thought form. And I mean, I would turn off all notifications of the news on your phone and uh, you know, I'd ever even look at Apple news or anything um, on my phone because it's just when you get away from it and you look at it later or, you know, once it's sort of out of your system, you can almost see the um, manipulation and, the, in the headline. I mean, you can feel it. It's palpable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So negative thought forms, like say, for example, we have a slip, collective consciousness makes its way in. How will that manifest? Like how does, how is that diagnosed and how do we heal that? Like how do we put that protection around us so that we don't have negative thought forms or collective consciousness impacting us? Mm-hmm. Well, one way, I mean, that I see it is people that, um, I mean, honestly, most people that come to see me want to get off their medication, but people, a lot of people are over-prescribed things. Um, so they're on like multiple different psychotropic medications when they don't, when they don't need to be, it's because the practitioner didn't know what to do. So they just put them on another medication as opposed to actually helping them work through, um, their emotions. But so that's one way I know that something's crept in uh, for that person is because they've been overprescribed things. Um, and I think another way, let me see how I can put this like philosophically, is I notice when people talk about themselves, like how they describe themselves, if they're using a lot of diagnostic terms that clearly someone else has told them, um, when when we use a diagnosis in my field, we, it needs to be done in the service of really helping somebody. Uh, it needs to be collaborative. Um, it doesn't, when we're using it to sort of put somebody in a box or to just give them a billing code or, um, unfortunately, sometimes clinicians will label people a certain way because they don't want to work with them because it's a more complicated diagnosis. I'm not here to shame other therapists or clinicians, um, but there's certain heavy hitting diagnoses that like people have a hard time working with. So um, I will notice when somebody's come in with that particular diagnosis or the way that they talk about themselves, that that isn't necessarily, it's something that's been given to them. Um, so I always want to help them to work 
from a place of wholeness in themselves. And if that diagnosis is something that they really need to understand themselves, I'm not going to just take it away from them immediately because that, that wouldn't help them. You have to work slowly with a person to see themselves as different than what they may believe themselves to be. So I hope that answers your question, but that really is the way a negative thought form shows up in my practice. It's like through diagnoses and through the overuse of prescription medication. Uh, when somebody isn't needing it, they're just like, they might have complex PTSD, which like five medications isn't really going to treat. Yeah, interesting. And I'll add another layer to this. It's the word choice and the reinforcement. So say, for example, my acne, my age spot, my fine line wrinkle, my hooded mm -hmm. upper eyelids, my sagging jawline, my dry, dry brutal hair, you know, that the extra five pounds I got on 10 pounds, whatever, my depression, my anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's these are just like elements of us, but they're not really a part of us. So can you maybe add to a distinction um, in regards to how those types of word choices that I just gave an example of, like something as superficial as like your skin stuff, and then how the deeper stuff, like my depression, my anxiety, how we can be very specific with our word choices to um, not manifest more of that is what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. Well, words are really powerful. And um, I do teach that in my practice, the way that people speak about themselves. Um, of course, you know, when you first start working with somebody, um, you're wanting to build rapport with them and you're wanting to build trust with them. So it's usually slowly over time, I'll be working with them on how they choose to describe themselves and the words that they choose. And uh, if they say something like, um, I... I haven't gotten there or I, you know, I'm still doing this or I need, it's really around like, I haven't healed. I always say get at the end, like I haven't healed yet or I haven't done that yet. Like, and then I have them restate it, especially in the light box, because that is where you're really imprinting the sort of I am work, uh, which is the soul work. Um, so it's, you're absolutely right. The way that people claim their um, problems or their diagnoses, I think um, is a self, it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but like I said, like if people heal too quickly, sometimes they get really freaked out. So you have to help. Part of the work I do is to help them with their new, like shaping a new identity. If somebody's been sick for a really long time or had, you know, what we call a disorder a long time, that's become part of who they are. So you can't rip that leg of the stool out before you give them another one. Um, so a lot of what therapy is, is to help them rebuild their identity as a new person. And that's what's different than going away for a weekend and doing, you know, <laughs> I love all of the alternative modalities. So again, I'm not speaking against these things, but doing a weekend of plant medicine isn't the same thing as doing uh, a longer term relationship with the therapist where you're really like actually reforming the neural networks and the attachments that I think it's worth the effort to do that because that's a sustainable change. I can very honestly say like in my 
experience. I've had two clients that have gone to the South to do a plant medicine journey, like a whole retreat preparation, all that stuff. And they came back a different version of themselves. Mm -hmm. They actually came across as less nervous and just in a completely different mindset. They were literally like a different person, but the flip side to this is also um, spiritual attack and permeability to mm -hmm. other forces. So I'm definitely keeping up with the work of Dr. Terrence Palmer from the UK. He's one of the leading academics combining both science and spirituality together. He's actually put together a bunch of research that the people who are most interfered with are actually Christian faith, Caucasian, between the ages of about 35 to 55. Very interesting statistics that he's highlighting. So my question for you, Amber, we could go down the rabbit hole for that for our sure. <laughs> but uh, how can therapy really help to heal our soul? It's a really good question because um, I have this conversation with people a lot. And it's interesting, you know, as a therapist and as a clinician, uh, we start where the client is. We don't necessarily bring our spiritual beliefs into the practice un unless we are talking to a client who's doing that. We kind of want to match them where they're at. And I work with people who are more kind of agnostic in their approach where they don't really know, you know, if there's God or if there's an organizing intelligence and you don't, you don't need to know those things to heal. You can heal without those things. Um, but I, I do believe that regardless of whether you believe in God or a, a larger consciousness that most people do understand that there's something deeper than just the persona or the personality, that there's a soul and that it exists, you know, beyond the capsule of the body. It, it exists beyond like our, our skin and our organs and our bones and that that's what lives on um, when we transition and we transform and therapy, you know, Jung, Jung really did discuss uh, the, the sort of deepest alchem alchemical transmission that happened between a patient and the analyst, you know, because all of this was psychoanalysis at the time, uh, that there is this magical kind of transformation that occurs between two people in a safe container that therapists call the frame. You always want to keep the frame and the boundaries that it is a therapeutic relationship and that there's this absolutely beautiful transformation that can happen um, in the context of a healing relationship, which is what therapy is. So to me personally, and I'm sure people, other therapists could come in here with their two cents, but that's soul work to me. That's not just behavior modification. That's not just habit formation. It's the deep, deep transformation and healing of, of the human soul. And it comes through uh, building trust with somebody in a safe environment and um, having a well-trained therapist with great boundaries be able to really witness you and both support you and challenge you, not just enable you. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
And uh, one of the reasons why I have so many different types of practitioners here on the Rachel Varga podcast and YouTube channel like Amber Rickard here is so that you can get a sense of really what some practitioners are like, because really when it comes down to, to finding a practitioner to help you and, and guide you and support you, you have to be in resonance with them as well. Energetically you kind of have to be on like a similar frequency um, where you can feel safe to share your deepest, darkest secrets and, and all of that. So either it's going to be there, or it's, it's not going to be there. So you got to trust your intuition. So that's why I like to expose you all listening to different types of practitioners that are available that I am in network with. So last question, how can we heal our psyches using traditional diagnostic approaches? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, the way that I think that works the best is when it's done um, in collaboration with people so that uh, they understand who they are. And if a diagnosis helps the person to know themselves better and not to hold themselves back and not to use it as a crutch, not to be like, well, my, you know, uh, bipolar keeps me from leaving the house. Maybe that's for a period of time. You have to do that. So we're not saying you don't do those things that you need to do, but you don't get stuck in it. So the only, I think the way that these diagnoses are the most useful are really to help the person break out of themselves. That's the only time where it can really, I think, truly help heal the human psyche when they're used to uh, keep the person kind of trapped in, a, in an identity, that's not healing a, the psyche at all. It's basically putting them on like a, a, a loop where they're never going to, a hamster wheel where they're never going to get out of it. So um, I always use diagnoses very, very carefully with people, unless I have to give somebody one because of their insurance or whatever, that's different. But then I do it collaboratively, collaboratively with them, discussing it, talking about it, uh, asking for their opinion. It's really the collaboration. It's not a therapist sitting on their, you know, uh, pedestal, give issuing their clinical opinion sort of down to the patient or down to the client. It's really a an equal process where there's collaboration. And ultimately the therapist has to make the decision, but it's done really with um, a lot of compassion and care and uh, a lot of contribution from the client. And that's how we heal, we heal our psyches. Yeah, super important work there. Okay, bonus question. Sorry, I just got to throw one and more in here. Uh, how does our mental health and the soul work stuff really relate to aging? I mean, I got to tie all this stuff back in, back to skin, body, mind, spirit, mm -hmm. energy, when all your mechanisms in your body are working like the fine-tuned machine that it was designed to be, you're going to have less oxidative stress and inflammation. Your aging process will be better. I did a recent test. I actually did two biohacking tests. I am quite a bit younger <laughs> biologically than I am chronologically. And, you know, doing this psychological stuff is really a part of it. 
So how does our mental health relate to aging in an era where most interventions must be evidence-based? I mean, this is a, <laughs> this is a big one. Um, I think that um, the more we can cultivate kind of that transformative resilience, which is what happens when we can transcend our past and transcend our traumas. And we do that in relationships. That's, that's the way it's done. That transformative resilience doesn't occur uh, alone for the most part. Um, I'm sure you can go up on a mountain and live in a cave for six months and have an enlightenment experience. Um, but that's a little little different than um, the kind of healing that comes when you're co-regulating with somebody in a therapeutic relationship. So that's the part that really keeps people young, I think. It keeps them in a state of joy. Um, it helps them reach that state of joy. And that's where you get, um, I, I mean, I think it really combats aging because it keeps us in our like childlike playfulness when we have joy with someone, when we have that sense of connection when we have, have that sense of transcendence with another person um, where we're in co-regulation with them. So our nervous systems are working together. And that's something that I think the evidence-based world would love to figure out how to pinpoint uh, so they could sell it. Um, but you can't because I think you can't pinpoint I don't think we're ever going to be able to replicate human consciousness or uh, the magic that happens with human attachment uh, with the machine. And it's unreplicatable. And so um, can we create an evidence-based practice where we're just churning out transformative resilient experiences? Like, I don't think so. We can use some evidence-based practices in the service of creating this kind of dynamic attachment with uh, with another, but you don't put the evidence base part first. That comes late. The the primary important aspect of a therapeutic relationship that then ultimately helps your mental health, that then ultimately helps your aging process, is the relationship and the attachment itself. Any good therapist is going to tell you that. That's the most important part. Yeah, we got to have great relationships with ourselves, right? Like positive talk. When you look at ourselves in the mirror, it's like, look at this beautiful meat suit, right? Don't just focus on like, oh, you know, those clothes are looking a little saggy. Maybe I should do something about it. Or what's going on with that roll or that bowl? Just, you have to accept yourself for you. Focus on the positives. So say, for example, I'm having a really good hair day. I'm going to focus on that. Or I had a good sleep and I look refreshed. Just like really try and reframe how we're relating to yourself as well. So as a thank you to everybody for joining us here on this episode of the Rachel Barker podcast, as a thank you for joining me here today, I would love to offer you my five steps to sophisticated skin and my planning guide for free over at rachelvarga.ca, where you can also learn more about working with me. The direct link are also in the description of this episode. And I do have da, 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 some free masterclasses coming up. So stay tuned, get on my newsletter at rachelvarga.ca, because I will be sharing how to access those free live masterclasses. They're not going to be here on YouTube or on the podcast. You have to register for them. If you attend live, they're free, and then you can purchase the replays afterwards. But 
why wouldn't you want to attend for free live and come hang out and ask me some questions? So just reach out and just looking forward to connecting with each and every one of you and helping you in a way that works best for you. So Amber Rickert, where can people learn more about you? How can they work with you? How can they connect with you? Sure. Yeah, you can. The best way is through my website. It's easy to connect with me through there. Um, uh, so that's amberrickert.com. You have that up there. And then another way to connect with me is on uh, my Instagram, which is at Amber in the Sky. Um, so you can, and Sky has an E at the end of it, like the Isle of Sky. Uh, so those are the two best ways to connect with me. Um, and um, will give you the most kind of information about the work that I do. Lovely. Yes, we're both uh, accessible over social media. Uh, yourself, Amber, in the sky and at Rachel Varga official. Send us some DMs. Let us know what you enjoyed learning about in today's episode. If you enjoyed it, leave a review on the podcast. Be sure to subscribe. And of course, got to end the call with this here. Hit the bell so that you know when new episodes are dropped. Please share this episode with someone who you think may be struggling. You think someone's having a hard time. It's also not your job to point that stuff out. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of like the same thing of, oh, wow, you look extra tired today. Your eyes are puffy. You know, like, let's just end this on that kind of note. Would you agree with me, Amber? Oh, yeah. Those things aren't helpful. That's just like a dig. So, Yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a whole other topic of how to share this type of how, if, if okay, say, for example, someone's tuning in here, but they do have a friend or family member that they know is really struggling. Mm -hmm. Like they've been gaslit, they feel alone, they're just like their life is seemingly falling apart, and the world falling apart in front of their eyes. How can we offer support, like maybe share this episode or or what would be some tips? share the episode or uh, share stories that you've seen. I mean, you, it's like you can't do therapy on Instagram, but there are ways that you can share things that could help people like to connect to them. Um, and the way that you say things also is really important saying, you know, I really, really love you and I care about you. And I've noticed that you're, uh, you don't seem like yourself uh, the way that you have in the past is, is there anything I can do for you? But I know that I probably can't do um, uh, the same that somebody like a therapist might be able to do. It, it's a touchy subject because sometimes people don't want to be told they have to go to therapy. But there are ways to do it through an authentic connection and just say, look, I really, really love you. Um, and I want to support you. Um, what is it that you need right now. Um, and oh, I heard this great podcast, or I heard about this, this woman, like maybe check her out. But I'm not saying you have to do it. It's just these are the things that might support you. So it's always with that, like, uh, the non attachment to the result, I think is really important. And also, sometimes we just need to shut the heck up and <laughs> listen to our friends and family and just be someone that they can talk to and listen so one of the things that I like to do if say for example when my friends isn't having a great time do you want me to just listen do you just want to talk 
let me know, like if you want tips from me or advice, or if you just want me to listen, that's kind of the way that I'll navigate it as well. That's a good point. You say, do you need listening or like more structured support or advice? So you ask first. Yeah, for sure. Keep your opinions to yourself sometimes when it comes (laughs) to You know, if someone, if, if, you know, even if they've lost weight all of a sudden, or they put weight on, like, don't put point that stuff out because there can be deeper reasons why that's happening as well. So just keep that stuff to yourself. (laughs) All right, everybody. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you here, Amber. I'd love to have you back on the show. I love your whole essence, your ways of being. And yeah, you're working with people that are really going through some, some really serious stuff. So I tip my hat to you, Amber Rickert, for the work that you're doing and coming out with Amber Rickert and I on social media and our websites and all that stuff is in the description of today's episode. Thank you so much. Of course. Have a beautiful, glorious day, everybody. Much love to you and your loved ones and your furry friends in the background. I know. (laughs) I know. know. (laughs) Bye.